As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Rates and barrels. It is Monday, May 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we discuss the injury to Drew Rasmussen and the overall strategy of taking on the risk of injured pitchers and how you have to really trust your depth to be able to do something like that. We had the return of James Paxton since we last spoke. So we'll talk about whether or not he looks like he's actually all the way back from a variety of different injuries that have cost him time in recent years. And we're going to talk about rest of season projections and how they're actually a buzzkill and how to actually navigate using them in a way that doesn't make you sad. Uh, with that, <laughs> we got a few mailbag questions to get to at the end of the episode as well. You know, how was your weekend? It was filled with uh, Little League baseball, and I took the kids on Mother's Day to get them out of their uh, out of their mom's hair to uh, to the other Little League baseball, Oakland. Ouch. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, uh, I asked my kid, uh, you know, did they play? Uh, did they play any differently? You know, like what did you notice as a big difference between like your Little League games and, and the game we went to on Sunday? And he goes, well, you know, they throw harder and run faster and hit the ball harder. Um, and then he said, and they drop fewer balls. And he goes, well, the Rangers drop fewer balls. <laughs> so, but it was a wild weekend because I saw something I'd never seen before. And to really set this up earlier in the game. So my, my kid, my older kid is in the playoffs and earlier in the game, um, a, a kid ducked because the command is pretty bad in Little League. And so there's a kid on our team ducked and um, he got hit in the back, but the ball also hit his bat behind him because they don't do as good a job, uh, little kids, in dropping the bat if they're trying to get out of the way or, you know what I mean? Uh, major <laughs> leaguers do a better job of sort of getting the bat out of the way so they don't get the foul ball thing, right? But he got hit in the back and the bat and... Um, uh, it was a, it was ruled a foul ball. He made his way onto the field, and then he had to get pulled for a pinch runner because his because uh, his back was was killing him. So um, you know, we were yelling at the kids like all game, like you know, drop the bat. You know, like if you're gonna duck out of the way, drop the bat. 
So fast forward, it's we're actually in extra innings. Uh, it's only the six, but with the rules anyway, it's extra <laughs> innings. Uh, the other team that is going to play the next playoff game is both of them are there, and so we've now got like fans for four teams there, and like parents and fans and uh, and family, and then four teams actually in the space. And uh, they went up ahead nine seven, and then our kids tied at nine nine, and their best hitter Caleb was up and. Caleb Lee hits the ball like he can hit the ball to the fence and he he's he throws the hardest on the team so everyone's like oh you know they got in the bag the other guy throws and it goes right at uh Caleb and he ducks uh and his bat he doesn't drop his bat and we're all yelling drop the bat you know like and he doesn't drop the bat and the ball hits the barrel of his bat and goes into play and everybody, including the parents, including the umpire, the coaches, everybody for at least two seconds has no idea what's 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 happening. <laughs> We're all just staring at that ball being like, it's in play. <laughs> Wait a second. And then everybody on our team, run! <laughs> and, and the kid just runs to first. And then our team is celebrating, but also looking at the umpire being like, eh. Which is actually, you know, a more common uh, thing now in the in in the era of replay, isn't it? This weird celebration that we have, where we're like, eh, "Did he get the shot off in time?" You know, eh, yeah. you know, they're gonna call pass interference. Eh, did he cross the goal line? You know, so like we have this weird, like, "Yay!" Looking over at the video, you know, and so the the, the kids were kind of celebrating, but waiting for the umpire to come over. And the umpire came to the coach, and he's like. I don't know, man. Fair. That has to be a fair ball, right? It's a fair ball. And they're all like, yeah, I guess it's a fair ball. So everyone's sort of like, well, that was weird. (laughs) That was uh, a walk-off with an exit velocity of about two. Yeah. So you're looking for. It just died right in front of the plate. And you're just all like, oh, fair ball. Run! So by the end of that game, you said there were four teams because the next two teams were getting ready to play and then all the parents and fans and everything. There were probably more people watching the end of that game than there were at the game you went to on Sunday. (laughs) Well, Sunday's, uh, you know, it was Mother's Day, the day game. I I think there might have been, we were trying to estimate, I think there might have been 7,500 to 10,000 people there. That's pretty good. uh, Which is good. But the days that they, so they they spend like Monday through Wednesday uh, reporting at 2,800 uh, attendance, but that number is just the season uh, ticket base, and we've done some like like trying to count as riders like on those days, and there are days where it's below a thousand. We're pretty sure. So because if you think about it, Tuesday against a nobody team with the Oakland talking about how they're going to move to Vegas, you know, even if you bought season tickets for the year, like you you may not want to go, you know, <laughs> especially on like a rainy cold day. So. Uh, yeah, we've had some thousands in there when they when they reported twenty eight hundred. Uh, so I wanted to give them do. Yeah, Sunday was a fun day. They had a nice little giveaway, and we had a good time at the park. And you know, uh, the uh, A's got blasted eleven three. <laughs> but you had a good time. <laughs> That's the important thing. Yeah, yeah, we did. And mom got a break. Also a mom good got thing. A break. Yeah. yeah, and I had to buy the kids crap over over and over again. Oh, I saw that the keychains, the Otani Verlander, those. 
not even close. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to like, do. Tell you, these squishable keychains. Uh, the first one was Verlander. I was like, is that Jose Altuve? <laughs> if you if you had to paint something on your thumb that resembled another person, I don't know how you'd really ever do it, but they try. You'd probably do better than that. Well, yeah, maybe. And then, and then uh, baseball baseball cards. We, we did some baseball cards. Nice. So it, was, it was a fun day. All right. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to the first big injury item of the day. Drew Rasmussen unfortunately has a right flexor strain. They immediately placed him on the 60-day IL, so it's going to be a lengthy absence for Rasmussen if he's able to return at all this season. I think that's a bit of an unknown at this point because a lot of time flexor strains are a precursor to actual UCL tears. Drew Rasmussen has had two Tommy John surgeries. We talked about this before. The Rays are an organization that will take chances on players with arm injuries in their past. That's just something they do. It's in part because they see value. They see guys that the market undervalues, and they think they can get a lot of mileage out of those players, and that's just kind of what happens. Like, they don't... as as, As far as everyone's understood, the Rays don't break pitchers any more often than other clubs. It's not a Rays thing to break them. It's a... It's a raised thing to select players that have reasonably scary track records health-wise. Yeah, I think part of it is actually a roster construction thing. You have an unlimited IL during the season, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they're just like, hey, we can actually have more players on our team if we just have a massive IL every year. (laughs) Uh, And then also, you know, when you're trading... uh, You know, the the guys with injury histories, they have... uh, they, They... have, they don't bring us back much, much back in trade. So the, you know, you we get a discount on these guys, and we can house more of them. So let's just house a ton of them and see. And it's also like a dice roll where it's just like, hey, it's a dice roll for everyone in terms of health every season. So what if we just took more dice rolls and we just had a ton of people on the IL and we just kept rolling that dice? One year, uh, we're gonna have three healthy aces, you know, in September, you know, in October, um, and so. You know, it's not that's still a little cynical and it's not great. I mean, they they could uh, come up with some other option. But remember, we talked about this on Rates and Brails last week where it's like, imagine being the first team to be like, yeah, we're all going to throw four miles few, le- less than our maximum. You know, <laughs> yeah, it'd, it'd be so hard to commit to that. If your jobs are on so, the line, I don't know how you could in good faith say this is a great idea. Let's try this. Yeah, but I did. You have heard that. You've had heard that thing about. Um, how uh, this is a precursor to Tommy John, right? Like that's a so I did look, I did go looking for that, and uh, I found a study that said one in five pitchers that gets a flexor injury like this has Tommy John within the next year. So that's not everybody, is you know, but it's still a lot. And a third TJ, as far as I can tell. Johnny Venters, um, Jose Rijo. Wow. Jose Rijo? That's a while ago, too. Yeah. And they, Jose Rijo, they couldn't, they weren't even sure that they were all Tommy Johns. It was like, it was like sort of, he had a bunch of surgeries and we think two, three of them were Tommy Johns. Um, anyway, case, I added it all up and there were three pitchers who've had three Tommy Johns. And they added up to about, I think it was 140 innings, all combined post third Tommy John. Yeah. So there's like the so question of how many innings can they throw, good and how good, third. how good are yeah. you going to be when you come back from all that? Which is, and none of them were good. 
Oh, Jason Isringhausen. Mm. I don't think any of them were good when they came back. It's a shame because Rasmussen has turned into such a great starter. I mean, it's been an amazing story. Ever since he got to Tampa Bay, he's just been a completely different guy overall. Sub-3 ERA, great whip, plenty of strikeouts. Uh, just You feel terrible for him. And, and I think it's also, if you think about how the economics of baseball work, he's never had a chance to really get paid either. Right, That's the other hard part about how the pre-arbitration system works, the number of years to free agency, all of the service time things are in play here. So you know, you hope it's not another Tommy John for Rasmussen. You hope for the best that by maybe August he could be back throwing again, possibly in game situations, but nothing is guaranteed at this point. And as far as the Rays go, of course, a ton of wins in the bank early on this season. Having all these guys that have these, these injury histories, we know they've got more arms ready Taj Bradley's been struggling at AAA. We talked about that the last couple of Tuesdays. His last start did come on regular rest, four days rest, though. So it seems like they've begun that process of getting him back on a major league schedule, which now seems even more imperative than it did even before they just demoted him a few weeks ago. And you've got Tyler Glass now scheduled for at least two more rehab outings before he's going to rejoin this rotation. So they've got to find a way to keep it afloat in the next couple of weeks just before they at least get Glass now back. But you get the sense that Taj Bradley, despite his struggles, is going to see another prolonged run with the Rays at some point in the near future. Yeah, and I think even if he comes up and only pitches twice and they option him again, that it gets dicey, right? Isn't it three options? I it was year, five. Or is it five. I think it's five. Five, okay. So they, they can still play around with him some. But uh, think about this. like Drew's out for a long time, and uh, Fleming, I mean, Springs is out for the year. So even if Bradley comes up just for two starts before Tyler Glasnow comes up, the rotation will be McClanahan, Eflin, Glasnow, Fleming, and Chirinos. Chirinos has had like two surgeries, uh, TJ, and then a fractured elbow. Um, and Chirinos and Fleming are both maybe using openers. Uh, so <laughs> you're, you're using openers on two of your guys. If Bradley gets it right, like, let's say he comes up, pitches well for two, and then they still, still say, Hey, we glass now, we want glass now up. We're going to send you back down. We're still working on fastball command, whatever it is with, with Bradley, they send him down. If he goes down and then starts dominating the minors and Fleming or Chirinos are both are either chewing up uh, bullpen arms with the opener strategy. I think doing the opener strategy for two guys is going to have an impact on your bullpen um, or just not not performing as well as you'd like. Uh, it'd be pretty easy to bring Bradley up. And then there's the fact that any one of them could still get injured. Right. You know? So I think Bradley is still in line for, you know, another 70 innings or so in the major leagues this year. Um, I, I think that would be a, a good estimate. 70, 75. I think he can do that. Um, and so he's going to have some good value. I, I, I'm glad that I held on to him. And even if he gets demoted after two starts, I may hold on to him for at least a couple weeks beyond that, uh, to see what happens with Fleming Chirinos and to see if there's another injury. We'll probably have to dig in a bit more on Tuesday during project prospect, but there is a, a pitcher in their organization named Sean Hunley at double a, we received a question about Sean Hunley. I had never heard of him prior to this question. He's got a 104 ERA and a .66 whip at AA. He's repeating that level after pitching there last year. Hundley was pretty good at AA last year in the sense that he yeah, had like a mid-threes ERA. But 6.7 Ks per nine. He's getting more swinging strikes. More I mean, swinging strikes. Something changed in this profile. He's always had control based on what he's done in the minor league so far. But now he's getting swinging strikes. 
I wouldn't bet on him to contribute to the major league level except for in the bullpen this year because what I see, 27 games, 10 games started in 2022. So not only did he not have a ton of innings in the 93 innings, but he had this dual role action. Um, so I think there's a little difference in sort of pushing a guy who had 10 starts last year, regardless of how many innings he had to pushing him to 20 or whatever starts this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think if he does come up, I'd be more likely to be like long relief bullpen, maybe a Fleming Chirinos type role at best. Uh, but there is another guy that I like in the, uh, in the minor leagues that is, uh, uh, that is pushing himself to the forefront of this discussion. It's Elvin Rodriguez. Elvin Rodriguez had great stuff plus in the minors. The one problem with Elvin Rodriguez is he's not in the 40 man. And I think that's a Hundley problem too. So the thing that you know with the uh with the Rays is that they just do not release people. They really, really try not to release people. And so uh, if you are betting on Elvin Rodriguez or Hundley uh to, you know, get into the picture, you're asking them to release. I don't even know. Littell, Zach Littell. One of those last relievers. And they, it's always Deakman a problem. If it doesn't work out. Because they don't have anybody on the 15 day IL right now other than Glass now. So they don't have someone they can shift over who's been out for a little while. So they, they have to really create that spot by letting someone go or risking losing someone to waivers. You know, if it comes to a point, they will, if a push comes to shove, they'll, they'll do something. But. They'll, you know, push come to shove is a different definition for them than for other people. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they will, they will lose some games in in June. You know, they've banked so many wins too, right? So they'll just they'll just be like, hey, we'll come back to the pack a little bit in June. It's fine. Uh, we'll do Fleming and Chirino. So there, there is that risk always with them that like something like that could happen. But I think the closer it gets to the end of the season, the tighter it gets at the top of the AL East, which looks like it's going to be super competitive this year. Um, the more likely that they're like, hey, no, we really want Taj Bradley up here, and I think we might want Elvin Rodriguez up here. So, um, you know, that's that's something to watch is the the table, the standings, um, and uh, and then you know what their injury and forty man situation is. Almost more than anything, the corresponding move is always the key. Well, sometimes the corresponding move is just the unfortunate result of someone getting hurt, though. And when you stockpile guys with bad injury histories, it sort of just the spots open themselves. That's sort of the That's awful what I was truth, about, right? Yeah. Like it just, <laughs> it just happens. You say, well, we're okay. We're okay. We're okay. There's a spot. But now you're right that all of their guys that are hurt are on the 60, except for Glass now. <laughs> yeah. And you can't rule out a trade, though. I mean, you I laugh I, to keep from crying. I brought it up on the 3-0 show, the trade they made with the Brewers a couple of years ago. That was a late May trade that got them Rasmussen and JP Fireisen for Willie Adame. So maybe something like that is in the works just because they've got a little extra depth right now. The outfield just looks so crowded. You look at their outfield depth chart right now. Obviously, they like Jose Siri. Josh Lowe's playing really well. We're going to get to him a little bit later in the show. Randy Rosarena is having his best year yet so far. Luke Rayleigh's contributing. Uh, I don't even know if I said Manuel Margot yet. He's still and Rayleigh there. Rayleigh was the guy that they nursed, you know, they 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 they, they kind of uh, massaged the roster to <laughs> to get him on. You know what I mean? They they made some choices about sending people down that other people were surprised about Aranda and other guys. Um, and it's worked out for them because he's fifty percent better than league average with a stick uh, in in sort of a part time uh, lefty only. Uh, you know, DH is first basis uh, kind of role. 
Um, and uh, the other guys that they sent down that we were excited about in terms of Curtis Mead and Jonathan Aranda and Vidal Bruhan, other young guys that might have pushed him off the roster, uh, are not playing well. I mean, yeah. those guys are on the 40 man, they're in the minor leagues, and none of them is playing well. So, yeah, I don't I, know. I guess there, yeah, there could be some other sort of roster manipulation move that they have up their sleeve. I'm just really curious to see what it is. I guess Aranda's playing okay. I'm sorry. I don't want to lump them all together. Curtis Mead is not playing well. He's hurt, too. At least he yeah, was for a stretch. I don't know if he still is at this moment, but there was an injury in his recent track record. If you use the 40 man as a guide and their minor league uh, work right now, then uh, Jonathan Aranda is still the next man up batting wise and uh, pitching wise. It's, it's definitely Taj Bradley hasn't been announced yet. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of st- starting capable players in the minors that are ready right now, it's Taj Bradley and nobody else on the 40 man. You have to be looking at these last couple outings from Yanni Chirinos and saying, wow, we kind of got away with one because he walked eight over ten in a third innings and struck out one in those two outings combined. This is what I'm talking about. He's on my labor squad. And I'm just like, ah. I'm just so nervous every time I he's out there. I just drop him, don't I? <laughs> it's hard to drop a guy with a 222 ERA and a .99 whip in a 12-team AL only league, though. Colby White is not starting. I just want to make sure that <laughs> So, yeah, that's Bradley's it. And and that's interesting, too, is that Bradley is it. The cupboard is bare after that. So that's why Elvin Rodriguez and maybe Hundley matter. Um, but they, they will have to make some moves before that. And then you could do something with Hundley that you've done with Chirinos or Beeks. You know, you could make him one of those guys, the, the bulk guy that follows someone else. I don't know if you could make more out of Jalen Beeks. You know, I think... Other teams would try. I, I don't stuff know. Is really far down, though. Yeah, I just year. I don't think it's going to happen in Tampa. I think it'd be somewhere else where they just say, "Let's see what happens if we give Jalen Beeks more innings." I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> a good move for for that reason that you just mentioned. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. James Paxton is back. James Paxton is back? <laughs> He's back from the IL. What's the punctuation on there? <laughs> I use an exclamation point because I'm, I'm excited about it because for, for the last couple seasons around the injuries, every time you look at projections, James Paxton would still have very good projections for a guy that's missed a lot of time because when we've seen him, it's been a ton of strikeouts. It's been a, a acceptable walk rate. And in the past, earlier in his career, especially a couple of those peak years in Seattle, did a good job keeping home runs down. I don't know if you're going to get all of those skills again, but the pitch mix and the velo at least looked like it did before all the injuries in his first start back with Boston over the weekend. 
that was kind of surprising to me because he didn't exactly carve up everybody during his time on his rehab assignment either. I was a little bit cautious going into the weekend, not knowing what to expect from Paxton. So how optimistic are you that Paxton could actually be a, a source of quality outings for this Red Sox rotation and for us as fantasy managers where we're, we're so desperate for good starters on the wire? Well, I mean, the good news is the fastball looks like it's back, and that is something that you can talk about in short samples. Uh, you know, So I'm trying to look back to 2020 when he pitched in Seattle, didn't he? Why isn't he showing up? Was he a reliever? Where's James Paxton on this list? The last time he pitched in Seattle? Yeah, was it in 2020? Didn't he pitch in Seattle? He made one start in 2021. He was with the Yankees in uh, both 2019 and 2020. Oh, so is, I'm looking for 2021? Well, 2021 was the year that he made one start and got hurt during that start. With the 1.1 innings? Yeah. Well, he had a 115 fastball stuff plus back then, too. <laughs> so uh, I just mean, you know, he's a guy that's interesting that in that his fastball has always been his best pitch. Um, and that was something that went away when he was hurt. Uh, now that he's back, he's got that 115 uh, stuff plus on his fastball again. So I would say his fastball is back and to be D on the uh, breaking balls. Uh, you know, we're, we're not going on much uh, sample here. But the fact that his fastball is back is good enough for me uh, to buy. I mean, like, of course, cautiously and not necessarily dropping a lot, but like, uh, people were asking me, would I drop him? Would I drop Brian Bayo for him? Yes. Um, would I drop um, Ronzi Contreras' fastball is gone? Ah, yes. You said you dropped Ronzi Contreras in a league this weekend? I did drop Ronzi Contreras this weekend because his fastball has lost an inch and a half of ride and, uh, and a couple ticks of velo. And it's directly related to his lack of strikeouts, his lack of whiffs, his lack of production. And, you know, in terms of how you want to use him, you want to use him at home? Oh, then you got five runs hung on him by Toronto. Um, you know, so there's, you know, seven runs by Houston. You would have used him uh, Houston at home, wouldn't you have? This version of Houston? Yeah, prob- probably. In 15 teamers, at least. So I just feel like every other game at home could be a blowout. And then every uh, in every game on the road, I feel nervous throwing him. So would I drop Ronzi Contreras for James Paxton? Yeah, maybe, dude. I mean, look at that. One strikeout, one walk in his last start against Baltimore. Yeah, it's, it's really strange. A few really nice outings strikeout-wise. I mean, that was one of those was against the Reds. Pretty good start against the Dodgers at home. In late April, too. Six scoreless, just two hits, five Ks in that one. He has a good one. breaking ball. He still has a good breaking ball. Yeah. It, it's, it, how fixable is something like this? It it was there before, but I just... How fixable is it in season is another mm-hmm. question. You know, like, it just seems to me like something's off, and I doubt, like, unless they send him down. Oh, would they? He's pitching a little better than Oviedo, right? I mean, he's... It's it's close. You'd think that Oviedo would go down, but Oviedo to me is like there's nothing to really fix. Oh jeez, I don't. I just I just mean like he's he's a good pitcher with like a lot of pitchers, a lot of pitches. I don't see. I I said before the season I didn't see him as part of the future. I saw him as a guy you have while you have him and you use him and you try to get the most out of him. You try to coach him to use the best of what he's got. But he's got no pitch over 100 stuff plus, and that was the same thing I saw before the season. I don't really see an out pitch. 
and I don't see a great fastball. So everything's like, okay. And maybe he can have a good year or two when he like finds good command and like uses his pitches. Well, Contreras is someone that you want for the future, you know, in terms of, and Luis Ortiz is that for me too. So if, if either one of these guys is ever going to do the Mitch Keller, mm. it's going to be Luis Ortiz or Ryan Contreras. I don't think it's going to be Oviedo. We should talk about Mitch Keller since he brought him up and he continues to grow the word cloud, uh, his name within the word cloud for the show history, mm-hmm. a 238 ERA, a 102 whip, 69 strikeouts and 56 and two thirds innings. I mean, it's all there. The underlying skills and the are there. bat still projects him for a four, eight, two. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is where, I mean, we're going to focus a lot on hitters and rest of season projections, but I think with pitchers, it's easier to convince yourself that things are very different now than they were when the last, two or three years of track record was put in place because you can see the differences in a pitcher's arsenal and with velocity and movement and all those underlying characteristics. You can go more granular with it and you can with some confidence say, yes, that is the pitcher he was. And yes, those are the numbers he would deserve if he was doing the same thing he was always doing. But this goes back even to, the end of last May, if I'm not mistaken. I think our buddy Jason Collette had the tweet. No, I'm, I'm confusing Jason Collette with Joe Block. Both J names, I guess. Joe Block, one of the uh, media folks for the Pirates, one of the announcers. He's been good for about a calendar year. So it's not just a hot start. It's a longer window now where Mitch Keller has been the best version of Mitch Keller that we've seen in the big leagues. Yeah, that's a good point. Let me do a game log thing here. Uh because he he basically added the sweeper halfway through last year, mm-hmm. so if we just I, I'm I'm actually not doing the like oh he had a bad game on August fifth so let's start at August tenth I'm not doing that I'm not even looking at his results I'm just gonna pick I remember that he was throwing the sweeper in July so I'm just gonna start with August fifth that's that's what I'm doing August fifth to now 114 innings 120 strikeouts 37 walks 275 ERA it's a pretty good sample. Yeah, and if you do the past calendar year leaderboard, pretty easy to pull those up over at Fangraphs for anyone who's never looked at that before. Mitch Keller is 27th in war among starting pitchers over the past calendar year. It's 183 innings with almost a strikeout per inning. Fastball's been good. I mean, that puts him in the same range as Logan Gilbert, Blake Snell, not that far from Dylan Cease. It's slightly ahead of Drew Rasmussen. It's ahead of Scherzer and Woodruff and... Alec Manoa and McClanahan in terms of real life value. That's a high volume of good innings from Mitch Keller. So if you, if you're not trusting it because it's only been a month and a half, I think you need to pull back and actually accept this. And I guess I got to ask we're in between updates on the pitcher rankings being kind of in the middle of the month, but where do you think Keller would land if you were re racking the rankings today? Yeah, it's an interesting thing because someone is mad uh, about where I put him, even though I was been obviously been pretty upbeat about him and had him above most people going into the season. Um, and he had the good stuff. And what you're seeing here is uh, what happens when you have good location uh, in a and you give a guy with good stuff a good location year. It may not happen every year that he has good location, but he right now has the good stuff and the good locations. And uh, here's there's two things that come to mind. One is a slight mea culpa. We did not run location plus into the rest of season projections um, on that first run. We had a reason for doing it, which was 
that um, location plus doesn't work in the smaller samples. Um, and so we thought we'd just leave it out completely. We could have done heavy some heavy regression and put it in anyway. Uh, that might have changed his rest of season projections somewhat. The other thing is um, that I, I have this difficulty that um, always arises where you like someone preseason and then they do well and they kind of go nuts and then you are trying to be sober about it. <laughs> you had this problem with Rasmussen last year, probably. Yes. Yeah. You were I, all like, over Ranked him. Rasmussen high. It hit. Then he was doing really well. And then I was actually ranking Rasmussen below other people because like, well, I don't know about the depth into the games and the quality starts and the wins. And I don't know. Well, you, you were know, trying like, to be reasonable. Right. Reasonable with regression. I'm trying regression. to be reasonable. That's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be reasonable. And so maybe I actually was not as aggressive on Mitch Keller as I should have been because I was just trying to be reasonable. Uh, but right now, I I don't really see what the, the problem is. He's got a ton of pitches. Almost all of them rate as above average or average by stuff plus. Uh, his slider is, I think, the second best or best. Uh, I think it might be the second best slider among starters. So you've got the sweeper. You've got the cutter. You've got the sinker. You've got the fastball. Both fastballs are above average. He's throwing the curve and the change, and none of them are bad pitches, and he's putting them all in decent locations. So I think he's just like... Hey, this is what can happen if you develop your stuff to the point where you can just throw it all to the middle of the zone and, uh, you know, your stuff takes it where it needs to go. And I don't, I don't know that I think that Mitch Keller has turned into an ace that will always be an ace every year. Like, I don't know if he's like, he might actually be lower on my dynasty rankings than my, cause he still has that, like that whiff of you know maybe next year the command isn't going to be there you know <laughs> but uh but you know yeah he i i had him ranked too low where would i have him rank going forward uh top 50 at least i mean top 40 top 40 yeah all right top 40 seems at least like a a good starting point i so many guys have been hurt <laughs> that also brings them up even more it's just who, who's really left but i think if you start treating him more like a longer term kind of fringy SP2, solid SP3, that's really good. That's much more than we thought Mitch Keller was going to be two years ago. I think two years ago it was like, what's wrong with this guy? Can he can he ever put it together? And now it looks like he's the pitcher that scouting grades years ago pointed to, where he's got a deep arsenal of pitches and commands it all well enough to make it work. That's that's the guy he was supposed to be. He just took a, a longer path for him to get there. Yeah. I don't know. Would the the would you rather is probably would you would you take Mitch Keller over Julio Urias for the rest of the season? I just I just put Urias on a buy low. Okay, there we are. Pitching ranks. I had Urias thirty third. How about versus Logan Gilbert? Projections would tell you that it's supposed to be close. Uh, based on Gilbert being surprisingly poor projections-wise. I'd rather have Gilbert than Keller, but I don't think it's a landslide, and it would have been a landslide two months ago. Yeah. It's funny how much injury changes things. Like, I'm just looking at... I mean, the injury thing is so hard this year. Just cobbling together a pitching staff. Like, I'm looking at my top 40, and I'm like... Uh, well, that injured, 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 injured. So, like, he could be he could be in the top 30 just because everyone ahead of him is injured. 
That's going to put some really uh, interesting young guys high on that list, though, too. Like, like Bryce Miller. Is Bryce Miller clearly ahead of Mitch Keller? He's healthy. You know, I don't think he's ahead of Mitch Keller just Oof. because you have to you have to be reasonable. <laughs> yeah. You have to be reasonable, but do, do you? Like, do you really have to be reasonable in this game? Like, where do you put uh, veterans that are a step away from being injured, like Blake Snell or, you know, or, or, or like a, how about a, just like a credible, not exciting veteran like Kodai Senga? He's healthy. We, we don't have the track record in Major League Baseball either to fall back on. Yeah. We, we still have some, how does this really play in this league? Obviously, you can have equivalents, but there's still questions there. Wow, it, it's it's tough. I, I think with okay, Mitch Keller versus Alec Manoa, that seemed impossible two months ago. If you'd given anybody, anybody playing fantasy baseball their choice of Manoa versus Keller, even people low on Manoa would have said, even people of like course, me, high I'll on take Keller. Manoa. Right, because think about where you probably had them ranked. Manoa, somewhere 30 to 40. Keller, like, 70 to 80. I was aggressive with Keller and I had him like 72 or something. Right, yeah. yeah you might have been ahead of everybody else with your Keller ranking and you still would have preferred Manoa. Has that flipped? Ooh, look at this. Manoa has a 333 away, ERA away from home. Was that like four That's starts? Crazy. Uh, yeah, but it's a 770 at home. <laughs> He's got a 17% K rate right now for the season. Oh, and he's walking guys. It's oh, it's and scary. May has been better by results, but he has a three seven two K nine in May. I mean, I think I might take Keller. I never, I, I was always pushing Manoa down. So, what a strange couple of years for Manoa. He comes up right away, has a ton of success with thirty five minor league innings among the class of pitchers that with no twenty twenty season. There's just like that uh-huh. gaping hole. Comes up, has success, gets even better over the full season. And because he logged so many innings, it was like, well, even if the K rate's a little low, it's fine. He's going to be among the AL leaders in innings. Dominant breaking ball. And it's just, it's just broke for a little while. I don't know if it's broken for good. We talked about it maybe three or four weeks ago, and I, you, you were more concerned than I was. I, I now share your elevated level of concern. He also has no pitch above 100 by stuff plus, although the fastballs and the slider are close. I know generally the the old adage has always been, you know, buy low, sell high. I think it's more of the opposite. I think it's like trade players away before their value completely craters. In the case of Manoa, he might be on his way to the bottom. You might have willing, willing trade partners who think he will get back to projections. They might look at zips or a projection that's better than what he's done so far and say, yeah, he could still be that guy. And I'm not saying he's toast and what you see right now is what you get the rest of the season, but I don't think we're getting the pre-2023 version anytime soon based on what he looks like right now. He's just not locating well. I watched, I think, two last two starts or two of his last three, and it just it was uncomfortable. He was not getting things where he wanted them. I think the lack of Ks is a big place to start looking. Uh, you know, no matter what, you think of the stuff model, the, you know, K's and K minus BB is super important. And so uh, if you were looking at, say, a teammate of his, Chris Bassett, uh, if you were looking at Chris Bassett, he wasn't pitching well, but his K's were there at least. You know, I don't know where I would put Bassett right now. Either. <laughs> he said a gem this weekend against Atlanta, too. 
the last two have been pretty good, but you know the one the one before against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, five strikeouts and four walks. A little bit weird, but no runs. That's that seems right. I you know uh, I I put Bassett ahead of Kodai. I would uh, put Keller ahead of Manoa right now, man. The guy that we got wrong, or I got wrong, uh, was Chris Sale in those in those rankings, and his early stuff plus numbers were pretty horrid, um, and his projections uh, were also horrid. And the dumbest thing about it is his stuff plus has just gotten better, and that's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, it's supposed to be pretty uh, stable throughout the season. But maybe what I should have done is say, you know, hey, this guy has a long track record of success and he's coming back from injury and maybe I shouldn't just declare him dead based <laughs> on, you know, an early stuff plus. I will say, though, last 14 days, Chris Dale still doesn't have a pitch above uh, 100 on stuff plus. The K's, though, the K's, though, are there. So... If you if you're if you're trying to figure something out, if somebody has K's and stuff plus and isn't pitching and isn't getting good results, they're still a good buy low. If they if they have K's and they don't have that stuff plus, I think you still have to consider them an interesting buy low. Yeah, he's been around for a long time, but is it still fair to describe Chris Sale as deceptive in his delivery? Fair, yeah, right? I, mean, I don't think it's a slot that a lot of people throw from. Yeah. Right, so I I just wonder if that's also part of how he has sustained the excellent K rate. Everything's kind of back now. The home run rate, I think, was really high for a little while. That's even cooled off. I mean, this looks like typical sale as far as your your underlying numbers, your K rate, your walk rate, your home run rate. That's what I was hoping for. I'm really glad to see it because I was on the other side of that one. Um, you know, we talked so sale versus Snell, I think, was our toss up, and they both could be fine, but. Uh, the rust factor. That's the hard part of this. It, it's the rust factor. It's over the previous three seasons combined, Chris Sale threw 48 and a third innings. So how long does it take to get it all back? Spring training plus X number of innings in the regular season before he's good to go. Maybe it's a similar question we should be asking about James Paxton. Yeah. If Paxton's numbers were scary, maybe that'd be a reason to give him some runway. Also, look at the velo. Snell was 93.3 in in his early starts, and he's up to 95.96 in the last starts. James Paxton uh, was, you know, 95.94 when he was pitching well, uh, and not when he was uh, when he was hurt, and he's up to 96 again this year. So uh, that that makes me pretty excited about him. So a lot to uh, unpack there. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. 
the main focus of today's show was supposed to be rest of season projections, navigating a buzzkill, because they really are disappointing. If you've got a player that's breaking out and you go look at the rest of season projection, it usually pulls you back somewhere close to league average, sometimes even a little below. And you're like, this guy's been 30, 40, 50% better than league average. Why can't he keep being that much better than league average? And it's, well, that's just not how it works. Sometimes you you reach this level that you can't sustain over a long period of time because you played your absolute best six weeks in the first six weeks. That's a thing that can happen. Sometimes the league figures you out. Sometimes there's some other explanation. But this does go back into what I was saying before. The the buy low side, you know, that's that's easy to see. Someone's underperforming. You think they're going to bounce back to their projection. You did a piece about this, I think, a week, maybe two weeks ago now. I know Jose Abreu was in it. And I was looking at the players that have bad WRC pluses so far, but very good WRC pluses for the rest of the season, looking at the bat X. Abreu is one of the biggest differences if you look at projection versus actual results. And if you use a model similar to what we just used with Mitch Keller, you say, well, is it just this season for Jose Abreu? Or if you go back to the second half of last season, do you see some warts that make you more concerned that the the projection is taking too much good Abreu, too much of a player that he more recently just hasn't been. Because I think this can happen sometimes where we get sort of tricked, and especially with players that are at the later part of their career, we know projections start to become less reliable. So how much of a red flag is this pretty rough six-week stretch from Jose Abreu? The one thing that really bothers me is that I think the bat speed might be gone because he really is struggling against fastballs. And if you can't produce against fastballs, I think that's really a bad sign. <laughs> you know, and you've got this is Jose Abreu from you know 2015 to 2018. He had slugging percentages in the 500s, the high 500s. Uh, then he hit his peak in 2019 and 2020. He had a 616 slugging against fastballs. Jose Abreu did in 2020. He had a 667. 2021, he had a 566. 2022, he had a 404. Mm. 2023, Jose Abreu is slugging 233 against four-seam fastballs. I don't know where in season you're going to turn around. He's now seen 1,170 fastballs. You know, 1,200 fastballs since the beginning of 2022. And he's slugging under 400 on those. I don't know, man. Like when, like, how's that going to turn on a dime? Doesn't seem like it will. I don't know. I can't. I saw a little bit of this. You know, I talked about this when they signed him, and it was certainly a possibility. I figured he would still to make contact, and if he only hit 15 homers, he would be only as good as he was last year when he was 37 percent better than league average. But the thing about having a hole in the league, quote unquote, figuring it out like you're talking about, is that they can sort of just fester at that so like they've discovered something and he's not been able to adjust his way out of it so the you know the the track record would say yes he can he'll find a way to adjust out of it i don't know hitting a bunch of sliders well and then does one vulnerability sometimes lead to another right so let's say his adjustment is well i'm just gonna look high fastball i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna start early on high fastballs well now Breaking stuff down causes problems or some, something else and opens the up. the rate is up. The strikeout rate is the highest it's ever been. Yeah, so it, it starts to, it, it's, like a, it's like a snowball coming down the mountain. It's like you've got this one problem and problems just keep compounding with each other. 
and keep getting worse. So I don't know if Jose Abreu is a 15-team league drop because he plays every day. That lineup's going to get better. The counting stats might be okay. He's got to have some good stretches. But the shallow leagues that are out there, 10 and and 12-team leagues, that's tough. Seems like he could be a dropper. But I think the, the main thing that is really important in all of this is to talk about who you're actually going to instead. I think that was something that uh, Zach Waxman had on on Twitter. There were some teams that actually dropped Jose Abreu, but the players they were picking up for him were not clearly better. And I think that's the hardest part about all of this is like, are you going to give up on the chance that this guy doesn't fit? Like you give up on the possibility of someone with a really good track record figuring it out to take a chance on someone whose projection is is still worse than what you're dropping. Someone who's a yeah, league average so, at best player with playing time concerns. Abreu shouldn't have playing time concerns for the next couple let's of say months. Let's you, you don't believe the projection, but I, I want to start with the projection, right? So the bat rest of season in the auction calculator, 13th best first baseman going rest of season. Now, let's say you don't believe that, right? So at least you should be looking around that for pickups, right? So, you know, okay. I don't have to say that I have to pick up somebody above 13th. I have to, I can pick up somebody below because I don't believe the 13th, right? Mm-hmm. So Alec Baum, okay, well, probably not there, right? Vinny Pascontino, probably not there. Anthony Rizzo, probably not there. Jay Cronenworth, projected to be worth $2, worth Jose Abreu's $4. This is in a 12-team league uh, with one uh, – I have no CI. Um, I could put a CI in there, but it doesn't matter. In terms of just first baseman, he's – He's ranked four spots behind. I think it'd be okay. Yeah, you could take Cronenworth. Now, Josh Naylor. <laughs> right? A player that's more likely to be available in those 12-team leagues, those 10-team leagues, because he's also talking. off to a slow start. And I can do this. I could do this. I might look stupid in the end, but I can do this. I'm taking Josh Naylor over Jose Abreu because their projections aren't actually that different. And... Uh, the the batting average, I think, for Naylor, we've already just started to see it heat up in Cleveland. And there's a massive weird temperature split in Cleveland where it's like the average day in, in uh, April in Cleveland is like 55 or something. And then it jumps to like 65 in, in, uh, in May. It's the Midwest, dude. It's all over the place. Is that is that is that like a Midwest thing? It's I was a, mid, it's I was a like, Midwest dang. city on a lake, right? I mean, Cleveland's yeah. on Lake Erie. It's just it's one of those one of those places. Milwaukee has weather swings like this where you'll it's get cold and then it's hot. It'll be eighty <laughs> degrees for a random day in May, and then it'll be forty five a couple days later, or even the <laughs> nice. next day. It it changes that fast. It, it's it's just the way it is. Plus, he's just he's a, a twenty five year old. He's not having the bat speed issues. He's a left-hander in the year that pulls a lot in the in the time of the shift restrictions. He has the bra velo. He has the bail rate. I don't know. I'll take Naylor over uh, over Jose Abreu. I don't know if that's if that's pushing it. After that, it gets worse, and I'm not sure I see another one. So I see Josh Bell. I don't know. I think I might take Abreu over Bell. Arise is just that's such a edge case yeah i guess if you want just batting average and you can give up the power will myers no spencer steer seems like pushing it hmm. yeah are you am i saying anybody that you would would you take Naylor over Abreu? i think i would i like Naylor. Uh, i think the evidence was there going into last season he could take a step forward and he did it i think the 
Even if the weather hasn't been the only reason, I still think he's got enough core skills where I trust yeah. I trust the younger guy possibly retaining last year's level or something close to it as opposed to the older player trying yeah. to get back to something that looks out of reach right now. 116 WRC plus just I have a hard time buying that for a Brady. I think it's going to be more like an even hundred the rest of the way from him. And that's okay, but it's not it's not great. And I, I think this list, I, I you know, pulled a few random names together. Eduardo Escobar made the list only because he's one of those deep league players that costs nothing in trade, becomes available quickly, even in a 15-team league when things aren't going well. So he's on the list, along with George Springer and Starling Marte and Tim Anderson. And injuries have cost some of these guys some time, too. So their sample sizes are smaller. Jesse Winker, Teoscar Hernandez, and even Bobby Witt Jr., whose production, relatively speaking, still isn't lagging that bad. It's an 89 WRC+. Plus with a 123 rest of projection rest of season projection from the bat X. So like wit's sort of like I'm not that worried about him. Some people I would, might be I would not. I mean I see a lot of people asking me about trading wit and I've gotten personally fielded a bunch in the last week and I would say that this is a poor time to sell Bobby Witt. And I know that you were talking about hey before something craters I don't see Bobby Witt in that position. I know his OBP is under 300, and it is again. And I know he's a flawed player right now, but he's so young, and the core skills are good enough to make him like, like, is he Javi Baez? Like, he's not, I don't think he has, he's as flawed as Javi Baez was in no. terms of plate approach. And if he's not as flawed as Javi Baez was, Javi Baez had a lot of great years. You know, so that's how I see Bobby Witt is like, maybe he won't be a top three player in the league. Um, you know, like people felt like that might be in his, in his possibilities. He's still going to be really good. Like he's, even if he just continues what he's doing this year, he's going to end up 233 with 25 homers and 35 steals. Like what? Come on now. So don't, don't trade that in a, in a keeper league. Don't trade that in any league. I don't think so. He's, he's off the list for me. Um, and, and I think Tim Anderson for some extent is, is off the list too. I think he'll, he's, I think that's an injury thing, but if you want my Lodum guys, <laughs> if you want my guys that I, that I don't, I can't find a reason to like them. And I don't, I can't tell you that there's a number that makes them infinitely gettable. The Lodum guys are Jose Abreu, Eduardo Escobar, and Jesse Winker. There is nothing there that I can say, but at least he's, yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. With Winker. I mean, it's a 36.2% hard hit rate so far. With 58 bad ball Three percent barrel rate for him and Escobar, basically. Unfortunately, so a lot of the players I liked as buy lows this year were players that were injured last year. The downside of that is sometimes they don't come all the way back healthy. So whether it's yeah. rust he hasn't knocked off yet or just not getting it back physically, there's some growing evidence here that Winker is just not the guy that he was before he got flipped to Seattle and. Uh, if the Brewers are going to keep trotting him out there every day against righties, hoping he turns it around, sure, the counting stats could be okay, but the power that I was hoping for, the 20 home run power, even 25 home runs in that ballpark, that does not look like it's coming back based on what he has done to this point. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez looks like a legitimate like guy you'd still trade for right now, right? Because the barrel rate's excellent. He's always had the sort of volatile up and down profile because of the swing and miss. I don't like him in keeper leagues that much because of that sort of the combination of age approaching. He's turning 30. Um, you know, he's 30, 30 almost turned. He's going to turn 31 this year. And 
the, the K percentage is up and the, the B the blocks are down and just, I just don't don't love this type of player as they age. But in terms of this year, yeah, I think I would trade for him. Yeah, and I think as far as wit goes, it's just in a long term league, you previously may not have been able to even engage someone else who had him on a roster to trade him. I think you could at least find someone willing to trade him now. It's still going to be expensive because they're going to see the power speed combo, all the things that you see and like about Bobby Witt Jr. But I would explore that. I'd, I'd push because this could be one of the last chances to get him in a multi-year league. And I think the payoff is going to be there even if he just continues to do mostly what he's done. But there should still be one more level that he can unlock. I think there's reason to believe he'll start walking a little bit more over time. K-rate's not a problem where it's at right now. He makes good quality contact. And of course, he runs quite a bit too. So uh, there's a few slow starters that I still believe in from that group. But I'm unfortunately starting to take the L on uh, Jesse Winker along with you. The other side of this, I think, is is pretty challenging too, though, because the players that have been carrying you, either guys that you drafted late, maybe you picked them up off the waiver wire, they're playing really well, and you want to believe, you want to say, this is going to happen, this is going to keep going for the rest of the season. This is guys like Brent Rooker, Josh Lowe, Jaron Duran, Jesus Sanchez, Brandon Marsh, a lot of guys that we've liked for a while, those last four, especially Lowe, Duran, Sanchez, and Marsh, they've popped up on sleeper lists and undervalued lists and target lists for a couple of seasons now. They have all been performing really well. Ezekiel Duran, a little bit more like Brent Rooker, where it's uh, something of a surprise. There were interesting skills in the past, but I don't think as many people were on Duran as they were on the other four. So you see these guys all kind of projected to go back closer to league average. Rooker is up to a 113 rest of season projection now from the bat X. And I actually have this kind of newer theory. I think as long as the projected level is close to league average or above, a player reaching a new level of success has sort of crossed this threshold where they're not as risky as they were coming into the season. The bottom falling out on low or Duran seems a lot less likely now because they've done enough to move that baseline up. They've they've kind of gained trust from a, a quantitative perspective. Yeah, it's interesting because in terms of batted ball quality, you know, all these guys are breaking out or sustaining levels uh, of batted ball oomph that makes me super excited about them. They, every single one of these guys has hit the ball 111 miles an hour. You know, every single one of these guys is uh, barreling the ball better than, you know, 8.7 from March, but let's say 9%, 10% is, 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 a, is a number that I keep in mind as a sort of a divider. Um, and if you're talking about low Rooker, uh, Sanchez and Duran, they're, they're barreling, um, you know, beyond that, or actually uh, Sanchez, uh, low and Rooker. So, uh, you've got guys that are all barreling the ball. Well, they've all max, they've hit max EVs. They haven't hit in the past. Their hard hit rates are all high. There can be regression in those things, right? They can have months where they barrel the ball and then months where they don't even though this is more signal than noise, they can still regress off of it. And so I tend to kind of, my eye wanders over to the strikeout rate and the swinging strike rate. And, you know, there's still a lot of reason to believe in them there too. Low Rooker, Duran and Marsh are all, have all improved their strikeout rate over their career numbers. Um, and, and the weirdest part is Marsh changed his swinging strike rate, right? And yet he's been striking out more because I remember looking at Marsh's strikeout rate and being like, oh, like that's really good. And now it's back up to 30%. Yeah. 
So Duran, I want to say, Jaron Duran, I want to say, oh, he's he's really changed his strikeout rate. Wow. Has he? And Brent Rooker, he's really changed his strikeout rate. He's still swinging strike rate as high. So I think Rooker will have a month where he goes in the tank. I think he'll have a, a month where he hits 200 with three homers. But I think that's part of the profile Rooker has. I think more established players who barrel the ball the way he does, that have that free-swinging approach or that aggressive approach, they can. it's the Teoscar Hernandez problem in a different form, right? You get the good and you get the occasional bad, but the net result is still far enough above average where you, you ride those waves, you, you take it. I think mm-hmm. Rooker, for me, is that, that kind of player. I don't know if he can get to the Teoscar Hernandez multi-year peak or not, He's a little older, so it might be harder for him to sustain it. But I think that's more of the mold that he fits into. Yeah, he's like a three true outcome guy is another way of saying what you're saying, right? Like there'll be days when the like the batting average projected 230, you know, he'll have he'll have months where he hits 210, 230, but maybe he'll have another month where he hits 300 again, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're sort of saying is you're bouncing around a new mean in a way. Yep. And maybe 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 the projections don't quite capture that. In any case, I, I like all these guys. I think the guy that I'm most excited about long-term in this group is Jaron Duran because uh, there's a real change in his swing strike rate and uh, there were stops in the minors where he didn't strike out as much as he did when he first got to the majors. The tools are all there. He's really capitalizing on those tools. He hit a ball 114 in AAA, which is now showing up on Fangraphs, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but he hit the ball 114 in AAA, and he hasn't even done that in the major leagues yet. So there might be another level to the power, and the speed is obviously there. And so what if he ends up a left fielder instead of a center fielder because of some poor routes? routes? I think he's playing so well now that he's played his way in the lineup, and it doesn't matter if he's a center fielder anymore. And honestly, I think they'll probably try him again in center field. Yeah, I think they probably will at some point. I think having the other skill to fall back on, the speed skill on top of pop, is such a nice thing to have because even if the the power is not going to sustain at the current level, it's not nothing, and then bags can always help make up some of that gap. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. I think Jaron Duran's legit. Jesus Sanchez has a hamstring injury right now. I actually am buying into this being a little bit of a post-hype breakout for deeper leagues. Once he comes back from that injury, I think Sanchez is going to be a pretty clear pickup for me in those uh, mid-range mixed leagues where he might still be available He's and um, doing it with a 405 B- BABIP though. So like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not. I still think there's batting average risk because of a high K rate, but I think he's getting to that power consistently enough where they're going to keep playing him because they need power in that Miami lineup. Um, and I think what Marsh is doing right now is meaningful. I don't think it's 295, 410, 545 really ever again over a prolonged stretch. This is one mm-hmm. of the better uh, stretches of productivity of his career. He's got a 426 BABIP underneath that. But I think part of what's happening is he's getting back to being the player he was in the minor leagues. He's being more selective at the plate. He's not chasing outside the zone as much. We've seen pretty decent barrel rates from him over the course of his career. He's in line with that right now. Uh, it's a pretty hitter-friendly environment as well. His glove keeps him out there a lot too. So I wouldn't be worried about a full-on crash from Brandon Marsh. I think he'll actually finish above league average for the season too with so much above average production already baked in. I think this is a good version of a very solid player. Yeah, yeah. The the most pessimistic projections 
he'll still be out on the field, you know, because of the defense. Steamer, 236, 312, 378. I have, I have a hard time with that one. I just, it looks like a different kind of approach now. And it, and that's what I also want to see. Like, we were talking about, he was more selective in the minor leagues. It's like, that's the same thing I'm saying with, with Duran. It's like, you know, he came up, he went from, you know, uh, Jaron Duran had, uh, you know, strikeout rates in the, what, the high 19s and the low 20s for Boston. Yeah, 23% in AAA. 24% in double A. And yes, then he goes in, he has a 36% in the major leagues. And this is the type of player we've talked about ad nauseum on the show, which is like, why do some guys go from 23 to 36 and some guys go from 23 to 25, you know? Um, but maybe the answer part of it is time. And now look at him, 23% strikeout rate in the big leagues, you know? So I like to look back at minor league track records too when I'm looking at these breakouts because if it starts to look more like they did, you would have predicted them to do when they first came up based on their minor league track record, then they've kind of done it before, you know, and they're just kind of finally doing what they were supposed to do. Um, and some in some respects, this list is all post-type sleepers. It's a lot of guys like that. I had the full full version of the spreadsheet when I was looking at it and uh, you know Josh Lowe I, I've said this on the show before I think I was wrong about him three times I was wrong about him enough times to not have him everywhere for this which makes me feel terrible I wish this was helping me retroactively from the last few seasons when I thought he'd come up and and be a really good contributor for the Rays I think with Lowe it's funny that it's sort of the opposite of what we've seen with Brandon Marsh Brandon Marsh chasing outside the zone less often Josh Lowe swinging outside the zone more often. That's not necessarily in and of itself why he's good. I think he's just being more aggressive and not ending up in bad situations where he's in two strikes. My speculation is anyway, he's not ending up in two strike counts as often because he's lowered his K rate by 10 percentage points. He's down to a 23.1% K rate with his O swing going the wrong direction. He's hitting the ball hard. I don't know if this barrel rate's necessarily where he's going to sit. 14.5% seems a little high for him. Because this is a guy that is slugging 631 right now and had a previous slugging career high last year at AAA of 556. So there's always been a lot of interesting tools. I think I'm kind of splitting the difference between what he's done so far and what the rest of season projections are saying. I think he's made enough meaningful adjustments where I would take the over across the board on everything the projected slash line says he's going to be on every projection system. And if you look at the heat maps, like just a real difference in in what he can do at the top of the zone, um, I you know I know it's narrative, but it it just it explains the the breakout, right? You look at the heat maps, say he couldn't hit anything at the top of the zone. Now he can. Maybe that maybe the league will find another hole somewhere else, it could. right? And and maybe what we've learned is it might take him a little time. Maybe it takes him longer to cover up holes. I don't know. Uh, but it also was at the very beginning of his career. It might have been the first hole that taught him how to cover up other holes in the future. You know what I mean? Like maybe the next time he encounters, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, something where the league is like, oh, now they're filling me up with back foot sliders. He's going to be like, man, the last time this happened, I thought I could never make it. I thought I was not a major league player anymore. I went into a spiral and they had to send me into the minor leagues to recover my confidence, recover everything. I'm not going to do that this time. It's just back foot sliders. I'm just going to go into the cage and work on back foot sliders and get back in there. You know what I mean? So they do like, this is something that you can actually prove about players is that as they age, they do get less volatile. And part of that is because they have better sense of what to do. And Gabe Kapler talks about 
trying to manufacture confidence with his young players in terms of like telling them about all the times that he thought he was never going to play again. Like he went to Japan and was terrible in Japan, Kapler said. And, you know, I tell them about that all the time because I had six more years in the big leagues after that. And I, I thought I'm terrible in Japan. No one's ever going to give me a job again. So, you know, that sort of, that sort of like, I still have a chance. I, I have a reason to be here. That's what happens, I think, a lot of times with somebody like Brent Rooker. Think about it. I mean, he was on waivers and he was out there to be had pretty quickly, even though he used to be, he was a first round pick, you know, like people thought he was going to be great. Um, you know, sometimes it just takes landing in Oakland and knowing, hey, I'm going to have all year. <laughs> Got to have a job tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the name that I have on this list that just is a total blind spot for me is Ezekiel Duran. Um, I, I just, I just, I just missed him. I don't know why, why haven't I thought about him? I mean, his strikeout rates are a little high in the minors, but he had good ISOs. I mean, he's, he's not really, uh, he's a 50 future value. So he's going to be on, on this. He's the fourth ranked by over at Fangraphs, Right. Uh, among prospects that for the Rangers, he's supposed to be good. He's playing shortstop for them now. So he, he has defensive ability. He's probably going to stay up when Corey Seager comes up because he's proven that he can play, right? Like, that just gives him an extra infielder and, you know, they can move guys around. I don't know. What what, what did I miss? I guess he whiffs a lot. He, he whiffs and he's never walked a ton. So from a yeah. pure just like, what's his real offensive value? Is he going to be in the bottom third of the order? Are the plate skills going to hold up enough for him to get the playing time? One of those guys where you can sort of look past the tools because you just don't know if the core foundation is solid enough, but it looks pretty real to me. I mean, I don't think you, I think compared to low, you know, I think I buy into, I buy into what the rest of season projections say in this case. I think it comes down to how you see him fitting in in Texas as to whether or not you would actually sort of buy high on him. With Seeger back in the equation, Nathaniel Lowe plays every day. Marcus Semyon plays every day. Josh Young should play pretty much every day. They don't really have an established DH, though, so they can let Duran play every day. He's a good enough defender to give some of those guys rest. He can move her all over the infield if they want him to. So I think it, it works out. I think it. Mitch Garver rehab starts May 23rd. So, and Seeger? Seeger's back soon, like this week. I think so. I thought, yeah activated for monday's game even and even so you could play so, Durant so in the i would say until may 23rd right mm -hmm. until may 23rd he's fine because they don't have a dh they have they have the roster spot i've i would i would expect that he survives the seager up and then yeah play him in the outfield because grossman's all right but what if you what if he can play center as a former shortstop you know Oof. yeah that would help him or i don't know or just become one of the outfield mix i think he i mean he's a better hitter than bubba thompson you know, so Bubba Thompson's up. You just have to think, can Grossman play center or like, you know, can can Duran play center? And can you figure that out over the next couple of weeks? Can you just send him some fly balls out there? I mean, they, it's a roster crunch. Once Garver's back, then the question is, can Garver just be a catcher for us? 
and we just keep Durant up anyway. I think you want to keep playing Jonah Heim, though. I think Jonah Heim is a great defender, and he's actually showing a ton at the plate this year. One of the biggest steps forward. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying play him less. I'm just saying, can Garver be another catcher just for occasion- us? But yeah, then- just occasionally make the pieces fit that way. I, here, here's then the you're wasting thing. him because he's got a projection for like 20% better than league average. I, I stick. I think my only lingering doubt about Duran is that so far for his career, it's a 43% O-swing percentage. And it's going the wrong direction. That's what it looks like. I mean, he definitely looks a little bit like Adolis Garcia-esque in terms of, you know, can hit the ball hard, can throw the ball hard, can run a little bit, and uh, has a very poor plate approach. But that's absolutely in the danger zone for O-swing where you're like, he could get real cold and fall out of playing time, especially on a team that is healthy and has a lot of other really stable players up and down the lineup. I think it works in Durant's favor. He's toolsy. And he can play good defense at positions of need. The thing that works against them, he's probably still a little too aggressive, even for someone who's going to be good because he's aggressive, if that makes sense. On that note, I mean, that like if they want the cover of like, we need to send him down to work on something like you don't look at this line and say, this guy has nothing to work on. No, it's it's being more selective, swinging less at pitches outside the strike zone, 100%. But I think the good might outweigh the bad, even though the bad is pretty scary with that number being as high as it is for Ezekiel Duran. We are going to go. We'll save the mailbag questions for Wednesday. We get some mailbag stuff coming Sorry, up on Tuesday, too. Sorry, we talked too much. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, I, I drank a giant can of water before we started, so I can't extend <laughs> I this episode pee. any further. So uh, <laughs> on that note, you can sign up for a subscription to The Athletic. $2 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening.